fifth time to do that since March. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is our theme passage for the year for Pine Tree. And we're challenging you to memorize Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. So how many of you, if I asked you to come up here, could quote this from memory right now? Anybody? Well, yeah, I know we got a few of them. I know Adam's been working on the kids at Jump Street, and they got some hand motions, and maybe we'll, we'll get them up here soon to work on that. I know some of you have quoted it to me. Some of you have made some videos on Facebook, and uh, we're just challenging you to, to spend time in this text. Because I think this text is really important, it's a great prayer, but it speaks to our vision, it speaks to what we're focusing on as a church this year. So we have our vision, we have our seven commitments, and we've kind of condensed it down into three focus areas for the year, which you've heard said over and over, Christ in you, Christ in others, and Christ in families. Last month I started a short sermon series on Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and I told you that I'm going to take these three vision focus areas, and they're going to be like our camera lens, so we're going to look at Ephesians 3 through these three different camera lens, so last month we looked at it through the lens of Christ and others, and I was asking this question, how could this prayer in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, how could it become true, how could it become a reality for one other person in this community who doesn't know Christ? And we followed that up with the question the next week of, who's your one? Who's one person God is calling you to disciple, to help this prayer become a reality for? This morning, we're going to look at this prayer through the camera lens of Christ and families. So I don't know what comes to mind when you hear the word family. I don't know what family is to you at this point in your life, but we're all a part of a family. Right? So what does Christ and families mean to you? Uh, in my household, we have a calendar from 2012. Anybody keep calendars that are that old? 2012, but it's not just any calendar. It's a calendar called the Awkward Family Photo Calendar. So each day is a different awkward family photo. Has anybody ever looked at one of these calendars or seen some of these awkward family photos? Uh, so there's lots of them, and each day is a different photo, and they look something like this. Like families that have been together to take a family photo, and this is how it turned out. So when I think about family and how families come in all shapes and sizes, maybe what family is to you is something like this. Maybe your family represents multiple generations and maybe you're not all looking the same direction, and maybe you have different motives and different intentions, but you're family, so at least you can come together for a picture. Anybody's family like this? You know, or maybe your family is like this, or you feel like this with your family. <laughs> Why they thought it was a good idea to put the, the young kid over here to the side, I don't know. But this is an awkward family photo, yet at the same time, maybe some of you feel this way with your own family. I mean, this picture could represent how you feel isolated and you feel distant from your own family. Maybe, maybe that's what your family is like. Or maybe your family is like this family. Maybe you love to have fun together and you love going home because you can always goof off and have a good time and you're always laughing. But on the flip side of that, maybe your family has a difficult time being serious and having real conversations, right? We all, a lot of us have had come from families like that or a part of families like that or... 
Or maybe your family is small. Maybe it's just you and your brother and your uncle, and, uh, and you can get along long enough just to take a picture together. But you're still family, so there's still a commitment there. Maybe that's your family, or maybe your family's bigger, and you have several siblings, and they're just as awkward as you see in this picture. And, you know, maybe with the siblings, as you become adults and you interact, it changes. And especially in big families where there's lots of siblings that were raised going to church, there's always maybe one or two siblings that no longer believe or no longer a part of a church. And, and so you have to learn how to navigate those relationships. Maybe your family's kind of like this, or when, maybe when you think of family... What comes along with that is the family pet. Anybody, would, would you include your family pet in your family? Yeah, a lot of people are like that. And apparently this family's family pet is a, a snake. So I'm going to stay far away from this family. Uh, or maybe your family's like this and you have one child who is very energetic and, and the rest of the family is trying to keep up with that level of energy and to be able to take a picture, or maybe your family's like this, where you have one person who's a little grouchy, and it affects and, you know, it, it interacts with the rest of the family and the mood of the family. I'm not saying that my son is like that all the time, but what a great picture this is right here. It just kind of captures what, he, what he's like in the mornings. But I don't know what comes to mind when you think of families. You could look at different families and their photos and what family life is like for them, but family. So we want to focus on this year, Christ and families, and we're going to focus on that this morning. I'm going to read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and as we reflect on this text, I'm going to read from a new revised standard version, but I have it memorized from an NIV, so it's interesting hearing these different English translations. I want to read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and I want you to just think about this question that you see on the PowerPoint. What if this prayer became a reality for your family? What if this prayer, what Paul is requesting here, what if it was true for your family? We'll start in verse 14 and read through this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And then together as a church we say, Amen. What a prayer. This is why we've challenged you to memorize and to spend a lot of this year really reflecting on this prayer. And what if this prayer were true for your family? What would that look like? As we go through the text this morning, through the lens of Christ and families, there's a few words and a few phrases I want to highlight along the way, so you can follow along in your Bible, and some of this will be on the screen. But from the very beginning, from the intro, before he actually starts the prayer, Paul says in verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father, and then in verse 15, from whom every 
family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So I start with that word every this morning because every is important for the entire book of Ephesians and really for most of the New Testament. We haven't done a lot of background work on Ephesians during this sermon series. So I'll give you some quick background. And this is background not just for the book of Ephesians, but this is background for a lot of the New Testament. And so what Paul was doing and what a lot of the apostles were doing was they're trying to unite Jews and Gentiles into one church, into one body under Christ. And that was a very difficult thing for them to do. Because Jews and Gentiles came from vastly different backgrounds. So when Paul says every, every is a unifying word. He's saying every family comes from the same father. So let's look at this word family. Obviously family is important to our lesson today because we're calling it Christ in families. So he says every family takes its name. So what is family. How would you define family? We live in a time, in a world, in a culture where family and the definition of family, when you think of family, has changed drastically. I grew up with my dad watching a TV show called Leave it to Beaver. And when I think about that TV show, I think about maybe what a traditional post-World War II family would look like. And then you fast forward to the 21st century And you have TV shows like Modern Family, and there's all sorts of shows out there. And we see that the way the culture views family has drastically changed. Even defining family nowadays can be difficult. A worldly definition of family goes like this. It's a group of people who have history, are united by some form of regular interaction and interdependence, and function to meet the needs of other family members so you don't have to be blood-related. So basically, the way the world defines family is maybe you're interdependent on each other, you're united, and you rely on each other, and that's what family is. So when we say Christ in families, I'm very aware that we all come from different backgrounds, and that may mean something different to you depending on what context you're in and what kind of family you were raised in. But this is a fact. Every one of you is part of a family. There's nobody in this room right now that says, well, I'm not part of a family. We all go through different stages, but from our birth, from the beginning of our life, we become a part of a family, whether that's good or bad. So when we say Christ in families, I'm afraid that some of our members think, well, Christ in families, well, that's just the young families. That's what they're referring to. But That's not the way I view it. The way I view Christ and families is I'm talking about everybody. Because everybody is part of a family somehow. You may be like my family where you have little kids in the home and and that's what family is to you. Family to you might be that you live with grandparents or an aunt or an uncle. or, Or maybe you as adults live together with your siblings. Or maybe you're empty nesters. Maybe... You're getting ready to move your aging parents in with you. There's all sorts of life stages that we go through. So what does family mean to you at this point, and what would Christ and families look like? I guess I should point out that no family is perfect. Uh, Have you read the book of Genesis lately? If you did, you would see there's a lot of imperfect 
families from the very beginning, from Cain and Abel and the way that their interaction took place, the siblings all the way to the end of Genesis with Joseph and his brothers, and it ends well with reconciliation. But in between, we see a lot of family problems. There's no such thing as a completely functional family. I don't know if that makes you feel good or if that gives you some relief, but all families are dysfunctional in some way. No family is perfect. But God is at work in your family. And I think when we say Christ and families, one of the things we want to help you see is that God is at work in your family. No matter how imperfect you may feel, God's presence is with you and God is wanting to redeem and reconcile and work through your family. Now from Scripture... From the teachings of Jesus, from the apostles, and from some of the examples we see in Scripture, there are some ideal families. No perfect family, but we do have some families that maybe honor God better than others. So what we want to do as a church is we want to help each other strive to be those families that honor God. And it's through our families, through our relationships with our family, that helps us understand our heavenly relationships. It's our interactions with our siblings, our interactions with our kids, or kids interacting with their parents or grandparents. These relationships help us understand our spiritual relationships. And I should also point out that when we say family, we should also think church family. This is something that was started by Jesus himself and the way that he defined family. And so how often do we use the phrase church family when it comes to the body of people that are in this room today? We refer to ourselves as family and sometimes as brother and sister in Christ. And so when we think family, we don't just think our our immediate family or who we live with, but we also think in broader terms than that. We think of our church family. So when we encourage you to sign up to teach children's classes or to help with VBS, I think it may help if you view church as a family so you don't think, well, i got to volunteer to teach somebody else's kid. No, you're volunteering to help teach your nieces and your nephews because they're part of your family. So think of church family as well. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family, unification there, every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So more unity talk. You know, we all have different last names. We all have different family names. Right? But what Paul is reminding us is that we still come from the Father. All of us come from the Father, so we all share that name, and we should live into that name and try to honor that name. And then he starts this prayer, and we'll skip on down to verse 17, the second part of this prayer, and he says, And, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, or the NRSV says rooted and grounded in love, And this prayer is about the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, how deep and how wide and how long and how high is the love of Christ, and that somehow we can come to know that love. And Paul says, I pray that you will be rooted in that love. You'll be grounded. You'll be established in that love. Uh, This is a Bible journaling picture that Debbie Melson uh, drew for us a few weeks ago when we preached on Ephesians 3 at the end of April. She did the Bible journaling event, 
And she shared these pictures with me, and I have her permission to share it on the PowerPoint. But as we were studying Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, this is the picture that was on her heart that came onto this paper. And I love this picture because it shows this tree that's producing fruit, but we also get a glimpse in what's going on beneath the surface. And you see these roots and how the roots are going into the heart, and at the center of that heart is the cross. And a part of this prayer, I think this picture captures this prayer really well. Paul says being rooted and established in love right after he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So what does it mean to be rooted and established in love? Where does that take place and how does that take place? I think first and foremost, being rooted and established in love takes place in your family of origin, for good or for bad. So for those of us who are still raising children, this is a challenge for you that part of what you're doing is laying down that root system. You're grounding them in love. But it also takes place within our church family. So about two months ago, we bought a house in White Oak, Texas because we want to lay down some roots here. We closed on the house on a Monday afternoon We knew that we weren't going to move in right away. We wanted to paint. We wanted to do some projects. So that first night, I went to the house. I was locking everything up, but it was empty. It was about three days away from moving into the house. And the lights were out. I was getting ready to leave. And I just fell to my knees on the living room floor. And I started praying. And I prayed for my kids. I prayed for my family who's about to occupy this house for who knows how long, hopefully a long time. And before any couches or TVs or beds or dressers or anything else had been moved into that house, I was praying over the house and all the memories that would take place. All the nights where we're getting on to our kids, telling them you better do your homework. All the times where they have friends over or sleepovers. The family nights that we have. The dance parties that we have in our living room. uh, The Bible studies maybe that we do. The time we spend praying. The dinner table where we eat. I was just sitting in an empty house thinking about how this house, this home, is about to be so important for the formation of my children. And it was an overwhelming feeling. Being rooted and established in love. And that's preceded by prayer. And as I was thinking about that and thinking about this church and standing here on the stage in front of all of you, being rooted and established in love takes place not only in that house we just moved into, but it takes place here. It takes place in the children's wing. It takes place with their interaction with you. Being rooted and established in love takes place together, Paul says together with all the Lord's holy people. So he doesn't just leave it at, I pray that you're going to be rooted and established in love, but Paul says, being rooted and established in love, you may have the power, this word, this Greek word dunamis that we talked about a few weeks ago, and the word that he uses three times in this prayer, you may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people. So being rooted and established in love does not take place in isolation. It's not just you and your small group of family or maybe some close friends. Being rooted and established in love takes place together with all the Lord's holy people. So in a few weeks, I'm going to be speaking at a church camp that we call Netsis. It's the 30th year, so they asked me to speak at it. 
Um, I grew up going to this camp. It's been really important to my life. And so I'm preparing for this camp. And last week I went and I had lunch with a guy named Keith Thomason. We met up in Mediola. He's from Greenville. He's one of the guys who started this camp 30 years ago. So one of the nights during camp, I'm going to bring him up, and I'm going to interview him, and I'm going to let him tell the story of this camp. I'm going to let him talk about how he has seen God at work over the last 30 years. But as we're conversating, we're not just talking about camp, we're talking about life. I mean, he was my junior high youth minister. He was Jessica's high school youth minister. His boys, his sons are some of my best friends. And so we're just sharing all kinds of memories. And then I'm reading Ephesians 3, and it's saying being rooted and established in love with power together with all the Lord's holy people. And I thought about how my own parents did this for us rooted and established in love, but they weren't alone. People like Keith Thomason and his wife Vicki and, and many other adults and their children played a very large role in my life in being rooted and established in love. So this is Paul's prayer, and this is my prayer for my own children, and this is my prayer for all families at this church. You'll be rooted and established in love together with all the Lord's holy people so that you'll be able to grasp this love of Christ and how deep and wide and high and long it is and to know a love that surpasses knowledge, to know something, Paul says, that you can't even fully know. That's a paradoxical statement. And to be filled up with the measure of the fullness of God. And then he ends the prayer in verse 20 and 21 with this doxology, and he says, Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, and at the very end of verse 21, he says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So the last thing I highlight in this prayer as we think about Christ and families is how Paul ends it by saying, Throughout all generations forever and ever. One of the purposes of family, from the very beginning, from the way that God has worked, is that through the family and through the church, we pass down the faith to the next generation. So we are responsible for passing down the faith from generation to generation. As the summer goes on, as we come into the fall, there's going to be some other sermons coming on Christ and families. So there's going to be a lot more to say about passing down the faith, about Deuteronomy 6, about what we read this morning, Joshua 24, and then what happens in the next generation in Judges chapter 2. There's a lot to be said about families. But I'll think about this one thought when it comes to generation to generation. A few weeks ago when Phil Ware was here with us, he met with a lot of us on a Thursday before he preached on that Sunday uh, and he said something that really stood out to me, that's been with me. He said, you, as you think about your vision, as you think about the future of your church, you're trying to plan a church that your grandkids will want to be a part of. So think about that. I, my kids are six and three. The thought of having grandkids seems so far off to me. But what he's saying is churches in America are struggling and attendance is declining. And it's not necessarily the amount of members of churches, but what's declining is the frequency of attendance and churches are struggling. And, and we think about what does the future look like 
What does 20 or 30 years from now look like? What kind of church, Lord willing, will my grandkids attend? And what Phil was telling us, as you think about your vision, as you make decisions now, it has a ripple effect. It will affect the generations that will come after us. And are we laying a foundation for our grandkids, for the next generation and the generation after that. Because that's been a part of God's plan. And you notice how Paul just throws that little tidbit in there at the very end. Throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. So what does Christ and families mean to you? What if this prayer became a reality for your family? Some of the things that Paul's praying about, whatever family stage you're in right now, what would need to change? What would that involve? If you started praying this prayer for yourself and for your family, what would change about you? How does this prayer intersect with other families at this church? I'm going to be really honest with you about this, and it may sound a little selfish, but I do have pure motives. I want you to pray this prayer, to memorize this text, and to really let it soak in and become a part of who you are, because your family overlaps with my family. Your family influences my kids. So I want you to take this very serious because, as I've already said, we're doing this together. So I want Christ in your families because you're going to help serve as Christ in my families and vice versa. I want this to become true for my family and for your family because it overlaps. It intersects with each other. So what does Christ and families really mean? Well, we're not going to do a class or a sermon right now about what are some practical ways that you can have Christ and families. Maybe your thoughts are already going. Maybe you're thinking about how, as a family, you go to church. Or maybe you go to church sporadically. Maybe you're, you're frequent and you're, you're committed to being at this church. Maybe Christ and families for you means, well, we pray before we eat. Or maybe Christ and families is, well, we pray before we go to bed, or we read the Bible occasionally. I'm not sure what Christ and families means to you. But as I was reflecting on my own self, on my own family, I was reminded of this zoo in Egypt. And they have a section where you can go and you can visit the zebras. And if you look close enough at these zebras, you might notice something looks funny. Anybody notice it? What this zoo was charged with, and it made the news all over, was this zoo in Egypt was charged with painting stripes on donkeys to make them look like they were zebras. And people were showing up and looking closely and like, that's not a zebra, that's a donkey. And they were taking pictures, they could see even the paint starting to smear on the donkeys. And it was completely obvious it was a donkey painted to look like a zebra. So I started thinking about Christ and families. What does that mean for my family? What does it mean for your family? And and what I don't want to happen, and what I don't want you to take away is, yeah, we just paint a little Jesus on top. There's a lot going on beneath the surface, but when we show up here, we've painted a little Jesus on top to make it appear like Christ and families. So the challenge that we're moving with this year, what what does Christ and families really look like? And it might require some being honest and some honest evaluation of your own family. But what we want to get to is we want to be consumed with this love of Christ. We don't want to just have a little Jesus painted on top. So I'll leave you with one word. 
As you think about where to move forward from here, what your family could do from here to live out this prayer that Paul offers to be rooted and established in love, this word time has really been on my mind. I think about time and I add to that quantity and quality. Because to develop a deep root system does not happen overnight. It doesn't take place over just a few months. For most of us, we usually have 18 years with our kids in the home to establish this being rooted and grounded in love. So it takes time. It takes years. That's quantity. But more importantly, what it takes is quality. It takes intentionality. And when it comes to having Christ in families, we have to be intentional about the time that we do have. Anybody can admit, man, life just seems to be on fast forward and just every week is going and moving faster. Each year goes by faster. Are we being intentional with the time that we do have? And I'll confess, I don't always do that. One of the major things I've been praying for recently, even this weekend, as I've been with my family, is that God would help me declutter some of the stuff in my mind and to be fully present with my family. Because these times are important. And I've got years to be with them, Lord willing, but I don't want those to just be quantity years. I want them to be quality. I want to be intentional about the time that we have. So it's not just about, well, tonight at 7, we're having a family Devo before we go to bed. I tried, We tried that in my family growing up. And I know how that turns out. Sometimes a family Devo wound up in a fist fight because I had two brothers. But for us, family, Christ and families could just mean that we're very intentional about the words that we use, that I'm more intentional about my temperament, that I'm intentional about having spiritual conversations with my children and praying at times where we wouldn't normally pray. Maybe it's something like that, just being intentional with the time that we do have. And then I think about Jesus, and I think about this word time. And if you think about the quantity part of time for Jesus, the impact that he made, I mean, he was here over 2,000 years ago, but the impact that he made still filling its effects today and throughout all eternity. And part of the reason why is because Jesus was intentional with the short time that he did have while he was on this earth. He used it as quality time, as focus time. Even the Gospel of Luke tells us that from the age of 12, Jesus was in the temple in his father's house learning. He was intentional with the time that he had. So by the time he was around 33, he had walked his way to the cross because he knew the plan of God. And Jesus sets the example for us for quantity and quality time. And when we say Christ in families, that's what we desire. We want Christ to rule your family. And I think that would change a lot of things for my family and for yours. Now this morning, as we give you something to reflect on and think about, uh, if you don't have the opportunity to have Christ in families because you've never had Christ in you, we offer this invitation every week and we want you to know that we have a baptistry here, and for those of you who want to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you've been thinking about that and you want to have a further conversation, today's a good day to do that. I'd be up here to talk with you. We have elders around the room that would be glad to talk with you, and that's where the journey begins. But for many of you, maybe, I, I honestly don't know. I, I'm sure we have some families in this room that maybe you really are struggling. 
and just things aren't clicking, difficulties with the kids, difficulties with whatever it may be. Every week when we offer this invitation, it's kind of a, an extended, ongoing invitation. It doesn't have to be just within the next two minutes and then you missed your opportunity. But this is a good opportunity to find one of our shepherds. And maybe you do it as a family. Or maybe you set up a time for later in the week to be prayed over and to be prayed for. So we want you to know that as we stand and sing in just a minute, there's shepherds around the room. We'll be up front. If you need to respond at this moment, we're here to receive you. Let me invite you to stand back up. We'll continue to sing.